Trek Geeks is proud to have Fansets as its presenting sponsor. Fansets is the place for amazing pin collectibles with over 200 officially licensed Star Trek pins and new releases every month. Stay tuned for a special discount code good on your next order at fansets.com just for Trek Geeks listeners. Fansets. Our pins have character. This episode is also sponsored by Science Division, the makers of the world's first interactive tribble that you can control with your smartphone. Keep listening for a special Trek Geeks discount code when you adopt a new tribble at sciencediv.com. Science Division. Trouble's never been this fun. Hi, this is Alexander Sadiq, Dr. Julian Bashir on Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and you are listening to the biggest little show this side of the Gamma Quadrant. It's the Trek Geeks podcast with Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. Podfleet Command special office near the Gamma Quadrant. It's the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant and the flagship of the Trek Geeks podcast network. Greetings one and all. Welcome to Trek Geeks. We're so glad you're here. We know we got a lot of new people listening this week, so we welcome you here to episode number 217. I'm your co-host, Bill Smith. Thank you so much for downloading and checking us out. Uh, Whether you're brand new or whether you've been listening to us for a long time, we love to show up every week and talk about Star Trek, and that's exactly what we're going to do today. And of course, by we, I do mean my co-host and I, if there was a stable wormhole to the Gamma Quadrant, I would immediately drop him on the other side and then head right back to Deep Space Nine. He is the largely strandable Dan Davidson. And Dan, um, welcome aboard, buddy. Hey, it's good to be here. I don't look at it as stranding me. I look at it that you want me to the, be the ambassador for the Alpha Quadrant with all the people in the game. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate that. That's great. You're a good friend. Now I know how the war with the Dominion started. <laughs> you were left on the other side. Wow. So much for that listening post. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was you <laughs> in a photon torpedo tube. Yes. With a Dixie cup. That's the listening that, post. There you go. Yeah. By the way, in space, nobody can hear you scream, buddy. Uh, they probably would not want to, because I scream very harshly. <laughs> well, yeah. In space, nobody would know. That's true, too. <laughs> nobody can hear you, Dan. I wish, I, if you were in oh, space, see, I couldn't hear you. I, you. So you wish you were in space right now. Oh, more than you know. But <laughs> more than anything, uh, I, I wish that we could tell people who we have on the show this week, because we're both pretty excited by it. I think we can do that. And I think I'm going to do that right now. Uh, now that I now that I think about it, this has been this has been something that um, took us by surprise. And thanks to Bill's um, uh, groundwork, uh, he hit the ground running and, and got in contact with some folks. And we are very proud to welcome Alexander Sadig to the show today. He who played Doctor Julian Bashir on Deep Space Nine, and he's been on all kinds of great stuff like Twenty Four and and Gotham and and Game of Thrones, just to name a few. 
this gentleman is 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 a real treat. I think you guys are going to love the conversation. Uh, I know that it's something that we've been looking forward to since we got the okay that we would be speaking with him. And uh, I think, Bill, you can attest to the fact that he is one of the finest gentlemen we've ever had the pleasure of having on this here podcast. You know, I, I think if we met him at a convention, he would be equally as warm and personable. But we had the, the advantage of being able to talk to him you know, uh, in a private setting, like, you know, an online meeting and, and for more than five to 10 minutes at a time. And, and what a fantastic and warm guy. I, I, I'm not going to lie. It's one of my favorite conversations on Trek Geeks ever. I totally agree. Um, I, and what's great is, is, you know, a lot of times in the old days when we did this, we'd have questions written down and we're like, okay, we got to ask this. We haven't done that in a long time with several of the guests that we've had on lately. We just go off the cuff and those seem to be the most enjoyable conversations. And this one was for the first time, the only thing I really did was wrote up the intro because I love doing that. I like taking six weeks and writing a really good intro (laughs) and uh, making sure that they feel welcome. But um, what a great conversation. Lots of fun details. I'm just amazed you can read the intro with all the spelling errors. Well, you know, since I spelled them wrong, I know what I'm reading because it's my own mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dan, speaking of mistakes. Wow. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, but like I said, you know, a lot of new listeners this week. We want to take a moment to welcome all the first-time listeners. We're grateful you've downloaded. Uh, we hope you enjoy the upcoming conversation with Alexander Sadig. But uh, Dan, in the meantime, how can our new friends get in touch with us if they have feedback or questions? Well, if you're looking to get in touch with us, you can head right on over to trekgeeks.com slash contact, and there you will find a multitude of ways to communicate with us. There is Skype chat, there's email, there's voicemail by way of that big blue button using SpeakPipe. Whatever way you want to contact us, make it so, because we love hearing from you. Plus, there's also the most positive Star Trek group on Facebook. It's called Camp Kittimer, and it is our official group. It's where over 1,700 other friends gather to talk Trek. It's always positive with no bashing or gatekeeping ever allowed. To join the group, head on over to facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer and be ready to be part of a truly wonderful social experience. And as always, we want to thank our wonderful admins, Haley, Jackie, Sarah, and Dan for the amazing job they do running the camp. Also... Please remember that any comments or messages that you leave us in any of these places may be used in a future episode. Bill. Thank you, Dan. Much appreciated. Wow, that was gritty. Dan, as many people discovered last week, fansets finally had their big announcement, and I think everyone's going to agree it truly was a game changer when it comes to Star Trek collectibles. Absolutely. It certainly was, man. I think the hardest part was keeping it quiet for as long as we had to, but it was certainly worth the wait. Uh, Yes, as you all know by now, Fansets was proud to introduce the full-sized Star Trek Picard Delta to their ever-growing list of high-quality Star Trek pins. It is absolutely gorgeous. The pin comes to you directly from the Star Trek Picard series. It's two and three-quarters inches tall. And it's uh, while it's manufactured with Fansets' normal attention to detail, this was not created to be a cosplay piece and is a pin, not a magnet. The pin retails at only $14.95 plus tax and features a bright silver delta over a matte finished black nickel. Both layers are metal and the pin has two posts to hold it securely in place. 
And again, this pin is not a prop replica. Very important there. Um, and also, it's safe to say that this pin, Bill, has been a huge success because in one day, they sold out. And they had their best day of business in the history of fan sets. So congrats to them. And thanks to all you Star Trek fans for adding this pin to your collection. Oh, 100% indeed. Uh, you know, if you were unable to purchase your Picard Delta Fansets pin, don't worry. You can pre-order it right now at fansets.com. The next batch of orders will be shipping in mid-May, so get yours now. And hey, while you're at it, maybe pick up the brand new Micro Crew Locutus. That's tough to say. Yeah. Wow. Thanks for yeah. putting now those words together. <laughs> I screwed it up last week. so <laughs> or, or even a whole bunch of other stuff because orders over 30 bucks include free shipping. And at Fansets, enter the very special Trek Geeks discount code Bashir. That's B-A-S-H-I-R in all capital letters for 15% off your entire order. This bonus code will be available to use until Wednesday, May 13th, 2020 at midnight Eastern Daylight Time. Fansets. Our pins have character. And we thank our friends at Fansets for being the presenting sponsor of Trek Geeks. So from time to time, Bill and I enjoy welcoming special guests to the show. And I really have to be honest here, guys. This one is really special. You've seen him in Game of Thrones as Duran Martell. You've seen him in 24 as Amri al-Assad, and Batman fans will instantly recognize him as Raj al Ghul on Gotham. But for us here on Trek Geeks, he will always be the doctor who wanted to practice real frontier medicine, to be out on the farthest reaches of the galaxy where heroes were made. To us, he will always be Dr. Julian Bashir. It is our honor, it is our privilege to welcome the one and only Alexander Sadeg to Trek Geeks. And Sid... Man, this is just awesome. Welcome to the show. Wow, thank you very much. I'm blown away by that introduction. Thank you. That's huge. <laughs> That's way more than I deserve. But thank you. Thank you. That's really very, very kind. It's really the best he ever does on this show. I mean, from here on in, it's it's all <laughs> downhill. Oh, <laughs> well, you know, it took so, me 18 hours to write that. <laughs> <laughs> he's not lying, and he checked it with me every time. Like he's like, good. Was it? Yeah. <laughs> yes. No, his name was definitely Julian Bashir. <laughs> it's funny because before you came on, we were going to joke with you and say, "So, Sid, what was it like to play Chicote all those years on Voyager?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah god people would be so disappointed if i was Dupote. oh gosh uh, yeah so so before we get too deep into star trek and other things um uh, the nature of everything that's going on now first things first how are you how is your family is everybody healthy and safe right now thank you for asking yes we are we're um inside uh a lot um and uh my wife and i um Actually, my mother-in-law is part of this group. Uh, the only people who are, my wife would rather stay with her mother than stay with me. So we struck a deal. <laughs> and that is like, okay, well, you spend a couple of days with me, and then you spend a couple of days with your mom, checking up on her. And um, she makes, she keeps us all honest. So uh, I do all the shopping and uh, all that stuff. Um, and uh, I, I'm the one who has to be kind of hermetically sealed to make sure that I don't get infected, which then infects her, which then infects her mom. So we're playing it really safe. And um, you know what? It's, it's, we're fine. Thank goodness. Good. We are Good. Um, in a really 
a relative, I mean, there's a terrible things happening down the road in the Holyoke Veterans Home. Um, uh, but uh, by and large, I think we are in a corridor between the hotspots on the east and west of Massachusetts. Um, basically, the New York kind of borders, Connecticut, obviously, but it's it, mm-hmm. wherever those guys all came across the border, that, that got very, it's been very difficult for them. Yeah. Um, but this middle bit all the way down the middle seems to be relatively okay and uh we're just not taking any chances um and it's just the idea uh, this is the most sophisticated virus ever because it's so darn simple you know it's like it's like a clown that comes to entertain your children and leaves them kind of undisturbed and then the children wander off and infect everybody and it's it's mind-blowing so we have to be really careful about um what we could possibly do to other people. So I, there's no way I'm seeing my son because um, he's goodness knows what 23 year old kids in Los Angeles are up to. I oh man. Think. <laughs> <laughs> I can, I can remember being 23 myself and the discipline it would take to not go out, right. huh? not even have a secret party. <laughs> I think they may get herd immunity before we do. Put it <laughs> Possibly, yeah. <laughs> we've uh, we've been very lucky up here in New Hampshire as well. Um, nobody that I know has has had any um, brushes with the with the pandemic. Okay. Of course, everybody being home. Of course, luckily everybody's safe. I know everybody is safe in in Bill's family. So we're really happy to hear that everybody's uh, doing well with your family, Sid. Thank you. Now, I'm sure you've been asked this a thousand times. Um, so I'm going to kind of word it a little bit differently. And that question is whether or not you would want to be on Star Trek Picard. So the Star Trek universe is continuing to expand with new shows like Discovery and, of course, Picard and other unannounced shows that, that the general public doesn't know about. And in Picard, they brought back folks like Data and Troy and Riker in ways that actually were a lot more than just plain old fan service. So. Yeah. My question is, if the opportunity presents itself in the future, would you be interested in returning to the role of Julian Bashir if it made sense and was a really good reason to do so? Absolutely. I mean, we can't, you can't deny people the right to, I mean, he's not just my character. <laughs> he belongs to a lot of people. And uh, for me to sort of go, no, you may not see this one ever again. <laughs> would be harsh and yes. um if and the way you put it which is absolutely what i would normally have to say with a caveat that i would add um when people ask me whether i'd like to and i haven't been asked that many times would it like to be on something like picard um of course you know and uh, patrick what an honor to work with him and uh, i you know i think he's got kind of a whole bunch of the gang the band back together with jonathan directing again and and right. all that stuff and obviously jonathan's become an eminent director in his own right so it would be great if if the idea was just you know honest and great for the people who really want to see what happened to bashir now on that note when, of course, when Deep Space Nine started, uh, TNG was still on the air, and there was the kind of a, 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 a melding of, of the cast for at least a couple of episodes. Did you ever have the opportunity to sit and talk with Sir Patrick? Or I know, we, I don't believe we saw you on screen with him at any time, but did you get to hang out with him and, and talk about Star Trek or other Absolutely. things? Absolutely. We didn't talk day? about Star Trek, um, but we did hang out. I mean, we, we, once or twice, not, it wasn't very often, but. Uh, he invited me kindly the very first year he invited me into his trailer and we sat down and talked. I think he overheard my British accent and uh, <laughs> it was like, 
let me tell you about um, the Royal Shakespeare Company. Right. And off we went. Um, and it was terrific. And he's, you know, he's one of the, I think he's probably, you know, up there with the Spocks and Shatners, uh, 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 Kirks of the most iconic Star Trek characters. Um, and uh, I mean, I was a big fan of The Next Generation before I even became, was on Deep Space Nine. Because I, I used to watch the videos at Blockbuster uh, uh, from Blockbuster. Remember anyone who's old enough oh, to remember wow. Blockbuster? We used to have to go and buy the rent video. <laughs> we well, had to rewind that, them before we returned them. That's right. I tell you, I worked in a local video store in Nashua, New Hampshire, for more than twenty years, so I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I well, think we're all the way to get next gen. Sorry, yeah. I, I, I think we're all of a certain age on, in this particular conversation. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, men who are, are looking fantastic in, in their uh, north of 40 years. Oh. Uh, we'll, we'll say it kindly. That way. <laughs> easily. easily. Yeah, easily. Um, I, I haven't talked about this very often, but in, in rewatching Deep Space Nine, I've come to discover that Julian Bashir is probably one of my favorite characters in the entire series. And and possibly throughout the whole of Star Trek, and I say that because his arc is is very different over the seven years, but uh, eventually he becomes the kind of bold character who is not afraid to speak truth to power. Um, that's something that has always struck me, especially in his his conversation with uh, with Admiral Ross in the, in the episode "Enter Arma, I Am Sealant Legas." Wow, nicely um, said. Nice. I only I know that, that phrase because of that episode. <laughs> I me too. By the way, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, if Dan had tried to say that, we'd be here all day. Something um, about ants. That's all I know. Something, yeah, something about ants. <laughs> oh, um, Dan. <laughs> we do this a lot, Sid. Don't mind us. He's sweet though. He's sweet uh, until you get to know him. Really, this is we're looking at twenty-five years on in our friendship, and really, uh, the dude is off the rose. <laughs> Um, but do, do you find the, the same quality about Bashir having portrayed him? Do you think he eventually became that sort of character that really kind of stands for the whole of Star Trek and standing up for, for what is right, despite what it costs him? Yeah. I mean, I thank you, by the way, for those words. But I, I, I'm, I mean, I really love that character, um, partly because you can't really play a character on TV unless you're, you've got, you know, prosthetics on where you just aren't betraying elements of you all the time because you just have to lean on it. You have to lean on who you are when you get up in the morning and go in and do some wild thing with emus running around the deck. <laughs> um, and then you just got to kind of go, well, I've got me. I'll do what I can, what I would do. Um, and I played him about two or three years younger than I was um, to get, just to be ahead of the curve. And um, I just thought the way he developed was fantastic. I thought the way he started is what made him fantastic. And, and he, he, he didn't start off as a finished product. And he didn't, um, he, so people really did get to see him grow up on camera. Um, and I've heard so many times from people who I've talked to uh, how that they knew so many doctors at med school, young doctors, uh, aspiring doctors who were just like him, brash and kind of dumb at the same time as being incredibly bright. Um, not street smart, for sure. Uh, so, uh, and his amazing inability to seduce anybody 
until much, much later in his life, except perhaps Garak. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so it was, I mean, I, I was just, I just, I just was born lucky to get that role. And um, Ira Burr and um, Michael Piller and uh, the late Michael Piller, the late great mm. Michael Piller yes. and Rick Berman, you know, they just said, yeah, let's go with it. Let's go. Let's find something else. And in looking for some way to get Bashir into the show, because he was, the, the studio bosses wanted to fire me for the first three seasons. Oh, wow. Um, because it was, because the numbers weren't good. You know, the numbers weren't good for Bashir. They weren't good for um, the show. Um, uh, at the time, it was all just too different. Um, and The Next Generation was so fantastic, but it was a fantastic, completely different type of dra drama. Um, it wasn't linear like uh, um, the, 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 the Deep Space Nine was. It didn't have, didn't really get too, it couldn't get too involved in characters in case people watched the show out of order because it was based on people watching the show in any order. So you landed on a place, you got involved with someone, boom, you kicked their ass and got the hell out. And we, we just didn't do that. And there was only a couple of shows and I'm not even sure Deep Space Nine wasn't the first, but certainly there were only a few shows like Buffy, The Vampire Slayer, and X-Files that were really breaking the mold of how TV was delivered. And you had to watch everyone in order, like reading a book. Right. And that paid off in the end for audiences because what obviously now every show is like that. Mm -hmm. And people don't want just standalone shows, except, you know, there might be some, but I can't imagine what they are. Um, you don't want to watch a, a drama like you watch a sports game. You want to watch a drama like you read a book. And that's basically how that works. And so that, the nature of how that, that, that plan, which was definitely um, Gene Roddenberry who bought into it because he obviously knew about the show. He passed just before we started filming. Mm -hmm. And um, Majel, who was incredibly influential, his wife, a widow back then, um, and uh, Michael Piller, who was genius, wonder kid writer, uh, and, and Ira, who is this, I'm sure you, if you haven't talked to Ira yet, you better, because that doodle stirred things up. I was really careful not to say the wrong word. <laughs> That's okay. You can say whatever you want to. <laughs> <laughs> I like to be able to have family viewing, but it, it's, he, could, with, he comes in with his purple beard, you know, blue beard, yep. whatever the hell color it is. <laughs> um, electric blue, um, he, he, you know that that guy can concoct an interesting storyline, and he had a, and he just let, and he, and and when it came to, came to it with characters like Bashir, who he wasn't particularly invested in. Um, I think Ron Moore was more interested in Bashir. Um, he was like, yeah, yeah, go ahead, see what you can do, see if you can pull him out of the, the gutter, see if you can get him popular, and then they wrote this show called Our Man Bashir, and it was almost overnight the change. You wow. turned him into James Bond, and my goodness, everybody thought it was great. And then they began to get episodes. it, and that, and yeah. they began to be okay with the fact that he was a little Doogie Howser-ish, and that um, <laughs> he had to grow into the role, you know. And so by the end, he's fairly formidable, um, and you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't take him on. <laughs> you know, he well, can no, look after himself. 
Yeah, very much so. I think that's really the thing. So when they developed the whole genetically enhanced part of, of the character arc, was that um, due in part to the feedback from from fans or the network? Or did they just feel that they really wanted to turn the character on his ear? I think they wanted to surprise me, um, okay. although they wouldn't say it. And they certainly did surprise me. I mean, I learned on the sort of Thursday to shoot on Tuesday that I was oh, wow. genetically enhanced. So I didn't have any time to build it backfill it into the character, um, which is probably a good thing. I was furious at the time. I was really, really angry, um, and I was determined to get rid of the idea um, because I just loved his humanity. And the minute you turned him into a genetically enhanced person, it was like, oh, no wonder, you know. <laughs> of course he can do that because he's genetically enhanced. But I'm much more interested in not being able to do something and failing at things because that's what we kind of do. I mean, we're sitting right. in this coronavirus world right now, which in a weird way is our testament to our group communal failure. And um, we just have to, we just have to have some role models on TV that, that fail. Um, and Bashir kind of failed upwards. And it was, uh, and it, it was, he was, it, his, I mean, now I'm okay with the whole genetically enhanced thing. Now I can understand it because I'm a bit more mature. Um, but at the time I was, I was you know, furious. I was probably only about 30 when that came, that storyline started. So I was quite a young kid um, when all that happened. Um, but yeah, I, I, I remember having to, you know, say, do math calculations very quickly while we were on the defiant trajectories of missiles and things like that in one episode. And I was like, really? So you actually want to make me data? <laughs> because you're worried about our failing ratings. So you get Worf yeah, to bring, right. bring him along and then you try and turn Bashir into data. Um, and it's like, maybe we could, and there was definitely pressure from the studio to make that happen. But that more, once the show got set, that was it. And there was no way it was going to become the next generation. I am so happy it didn't because we gave fans an alternative and, and people who love next generation, which most fans do like me can also love deep space nine. It's not sort of, right. they're not mutually, uh, they're, um, mutually something. There's a word. I, the famous say it, phrase, mutually, <laughs> I can't remember it, but it doesn't matter. I'm getting older. Right. You fit right in on the show, man. Yeah, you do. <laughs> so two, two things. I have a quick follow-up. First of all, just so that you know, Bill and I, Deep Space Nine is our all-time favorite series. So just want to throw right. that out there. It, and and I have a quick follow-up. Mutually exclusive. Mutually exclusive. About. Exclusive. Thank there you. we go. I knew you'd say I wouldn't get it, but you it came. It's true. get it in there. <laughs> in regards to the, the storyline of being genetically enhanced and how you just found out right before filming, was it the same for being involved with Section 31 and having Bill Sadler on as, as a guest star for that arc as well? Yeah, that was a total shock too. Um, that was great, though. I, I mean, I really loved that. I thought that was kind of sexy, and it, because he's yeah. so unlikely to be that the, that guy. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, when that happened, that was the perfect next step for Bashir, um, that, yeah. who had been a kind of bond, you know. Don't forget, and he'd also made he, you know, almost wiped out the entire population of a planet by by, by being reckless. Mm -hmm. And um, he's so this guy had learned the hard way, and this is. And I think he was pretty much a veteran by then. And um, I just, it just seemed like a natural thing to, to happen. And it 
caught the imagination so much that the the, the new CBS uh, newish the Discovery uses uh, delves into Section Thirty One a lot. Yes. Yep. And um, yeah, I do wonder sometimes about because I don't think you ever leave Section Thirty One. So uh, I, he was pretty senior. Um, well, sort of early days. That brings that brings me up. That brings up a good question. Um, do you have you kept up with what happens with Julian and say like Star Trek novels and such at any time? No, I haven't. Um, I haven't. Not at I'll all. tell you. There's there's. I love reading the Star Trek novels, and there are some fantastic ones that focus specifically in on Julian. He has saved the Andorians from total annihilation. Um, he has been charged with being a criminal by the Federation. He has lost his medical license. He has been um, exonerated by the Federation president, and he has become a double agent in Section 31 so that he can try to take it down. So, I mean, he's pretty busy. And he's really? with Serena Douglas now and not Esri, which I found very interesting. So, oh. so she's back in his life. Wow. So lots of cool stuff going that on. He's huge. Yeah, you know what? I think about the deep whole Deep Space Nine thing, which uh, Section 31 really interested me at the time because we weren't at war yet, you know, with the rest of the world. Um, mm-hmm. and right. we, we were in a relatively peaceful period, but we were having enormous problems with terrorists, um, even back then, uh, up, right up until, you know, 1998, 1999, that time. Um, Bin Laden was just kind of training in the Sudan, and um, they were, they were, they, things were cooking. And mm-hmm. what Deep Space Nine did for the first time, which I thought was really interesting, um, was say that the Federation wasn't perfect. And that yeah. was well, sacri- sacrilege uh, for a lot of Star Trek fans. But it mirrored what was happening in the world with the United Nations and America and uh, Europe and Great Britain, all those things. Whereas we began to see real, well, I don't know if we began, people were seeing problems with you know, democracy uh, and married to capitalism for years. Um, but it was something that, that became kind of, it, that, that came, at least became apparent to me during the filming of the show. It's like, whoa, the feds aren't perfect. They, aren't, they don't always make the wisest decisions. Mm-hmm. And obviously the films and things have exploited that, these ideas much more since then. But to watch The Next Generation, they always did the right thing. And um, Deep Space Nine, suddenly, they weren't doing the right thing all the time. They they had their heart in the right place. And I think Bashir is really a symbol of that, in a sense that he gets darker as the Federation gets darker. This naive, ex-naive, innocent, lovely young man gets darker and darker and darker. And I can well imagine him as in those fiction, the, the, the new fan fiction, getting arrested. And I can well imagine him, you know, doing some horrifying things because, you know, we, we remember the horrifying things that happened even with our own secret services um, and right. rendition and all sorts of things that we thought were illegal but happened anyway. Right. So I, I think that the, the, that Deep Space Nine taking on those issues was actually really good, really freeing for Star Trek. And I don't think Star Trek has looked back since. I think now that the, there is more nuanced look yes. at the Federation and who they are. We'll get back to our conversation with Alexander Siddig in just a minute, but we want to take a moment to talk about a wonderful small business that makes one of the coolest products ever. Their name is Science Division, and oh yeah, they make triples. You know, it's, it's interesting though, man, because you would think making such a dangerous thing would be frowned upon, but wait, wait. 
That's right, Bill. <laughs> Turtles are not dangerous. <laughs> yes, that's right. Uh, they're soft. They make a pleasant sound, and they warn you when Klingons are near. And now you can purchase your own officially licensed Tribble and actually control it with your iOS or Android phone. I mean, that is just so cool. You can name your Tribble through the Section K7 app, and you can even choose what ship it's assigned to, man. That's right, Dan. And whether you use the app or not, your new Tribble will be a welcome addition to your Trek family. They have three modes. There's at ease where they're happy and content, kind of like me when I don't talk to Dan. There's on duty, which is a random mix of happy and angry sounds, which is kind of when I'm talking to Dan. And there's watchdog where they sound largely like Dan, pretty much angry and loud. The app also has an attack button, which makes your Tribble scream on demand at friends, family, or especially annoying podcast partners. That's right. <laughs> now, it's no secret that we support small businesses, and Science Division fits the bill perfectly. They are a husband and wife team, Jay and Kalia, who are huge Star Trek fans. Her childhood dream was to own a real Tribble, and now you can live that dream, too, thanks to this new awesome product from Science Division. You know, and the best part is the response from our listeners to the Trek Geeks Podcast Network has been so great that they are now offering a special $5 discount code just for Trek Geeks listeners. So head on over to sciencediv.com. That's sciencediv.com to place your order. Now, normally these beauties go for $69.99, but if you enter the special code GEEKS, that's G-E-E-K-S, you will get $5 off your order. I think that's fantastic. Now, this offer code is valid until May 20th, 2020 at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Science Division. Trouble's never been this fun. And we thank our friends at Science Division for sponsoring this week's episode. It's interesting to me because as you know, we've been doing this podcast now for about five years. And uh, in that time, we have had so many people tell us that Deep Space Nine has become their favorite series. I may not have started off that way, but it has become that way now, partly because of the nuance and the realism and the grittiness. Uh, is, is the city of today surprised at that at all? Because at the time, 25 plus years ago, it wasn't necessarily everybody's favorite. And, and how does that make you feel? Yeah, they wouldn't feed us to the animals back then. And yeah. They, they really, and, and uh, we just survived because they had to keep the show running um, because they'd invested so much money in it and the merchandising was making so much cash. And it would, been, uh, it would have been a catastrophic admission of failure <laughs> for a Star, Star Trek series not to go through the full, you know, it wasn't until several, episodes, several shows later that they actually risked cancelling a Star Trek show. Right. Um, yeah, they dragged us through the mud, but we were fine. You know, we were just uh, kind of happy campers hanging out, and then nine or ten of us, including a couple of guest stars, happy to see each other, happy to take the paycheck, and happy to be um, working under the radar, really, because we were allowed to do things no one else. I mean, the studio execs at the time just simply weren't interested in what we were doing. They just didn't right. bother turning up to inspect us. They didn't care what our hair looked like. You know, you ask Patrick or, or, or Jonathan or LeVar or Brent or any of those guys, they'll say the studio was breathing down our necks all the time, you know. I couldn't get a haircut. I couldn't do this. I couldn't do that. They honestly didn't care if we got run over. You know, they'd be like, fine, find another one. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so we were great. We, so that, and that was freeing, you know. It was people like yeah. Armin and, and who was one of the most popular characters on the show could really 
get get jiggy with with his character and um you know the, 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 there was some and you know we had an african american captain way before obama and uh, and he could he began he began to grow as the longer and more comfortable he got and once he started to direct and everyone realized just how formidable mr brooks is I don't know what he's up to now. Have you got him on? Have you have you had a chat to him? No, he actually he. I don't think anybody's seen him since the last time he did Star Trek Las Vegas. Okay. Um, I think he's pretty much at home in New Jersey, and I, I think that he thinks he's he's said all he has to say about Star Trek, and that's and that's fine if that's the answer. But what a what a force of nature Avery Brooks is. Yeah. Uh, were you were you at all intimidated the first time you had to do to do a scene with him? No, I wasn't. But I was intimidated by him as the man. Uh, okay, I can see that. But as an actor, I I just did my thing. You know, I just got, yeah. got with my thing, and um, it was plenty for me just to try and remember my lines and turn up to work on time. Remember, I was only in my mid twenties. It's like, oh my god, I'm still playing Ultima online. I should be at work in three minutes. Oh my goodness. And they, they, I, I spent so long playing computer games because, I, you know, I, when I first started, I was getting seven and a half thousand dollars an episode, and uh, which isn't huge money, but to me, boy, it was huge. <laughs> and so I bought a green car that I just liked the look of in the window. And uh, what was it? It's a, a Chrysler LeBaron, a convertible Chrysler LeBaron. <laughs> I was like, I'll have that. And they went, this one? I was like, yeah, I'll drive it out today. Here's your fifteen thousand dollars. See ya. Uh, and awesome. uh, I would. I bought these incredibly expensive computer setup with editing suite and everything, and played computer games until about four o'clock every morning. To the point where they awesome. thought I I was having problems with drugs, and so they called me in to the office and said, um, I, "So we'd like you to know that we're we're we're, we're going to support you, whatever you say next. <laughs> Are you taking a lot of cocaine?" I was like, "Wow, what cocaine?" No, you look tired all the time. It's like, oh, I play a lot of computer games. <laughs> and I'm driving a LeBaron. <laughs> and check this, LeBaron. <laughs> we drove all the way to Vegas with the top down, which is not a smart idea. <laughs> and listening to uh, Counting Crows the whole way. It's wow, like, that's yeah. dating. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Oh, now, man. during the but pandemic, Avery was special. Sorry, I didn't finish my, my oh, no problem. phrase of Avery. He, he was a special <laughs> human being, and he is a special human being. Um, and I, he, 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 he took me under his wing because I was, I mean, him, um, Sorok was a bit younger then, but because I was yeah. born in Africa, um, and he's an African-American. He, we saw something there together and he introduced me to he gave me books on african-american experience especially cornell west he loved cornell west. oh wow and uh he'd, and say what do you think you know he gave me a copy of race matters and said i'll read it and tell me what you think so we talk about being african-american and um it was interesting it was really uh, that was really interesting he's a very strong human being that's that's one person that unfortunately I never got the chance to meet at any conventions. I started going to STLV a little later than Bill, so I didn't get to meet him. But um, you brought up video games just a second ago, mm. and during the pandemic, do you still do you still play? Do you still do do, do online gaming or yeah, anything like that? Absolutely, I've been playing this morning. It's basically all so of it. 
You're so awesome. I have <laughs> Zoom chats with people, and um, I, we, we, we're producing a couple of TV shows, so we're, that's, that's taking up some time. Um, but that's the only kind of work that I can yeah. boast to doing. I, as an actor, without a project, I'm just a nothing. I'm, I'm, I'm not an actor. I'm not a cook. I'm nothing. So I've got to just do something. My wife just, you know, says, well, just has let me off the leash. I can play as much Xbox there sitting over there as I like. And uh, um, so I'm playing a game called Division, The Division 2, um, which, is a, which is a shoot 'em up But it's kind of very mm-hmm. cool. It's sort of, it's got a lot more to it. It's not quite just a command and call. I mean, not a Call of Duty type shoot 'em up where you right. run around a room with 15 seven-year-olds and get shot in the face. <laughs> it's, it's a bit more interesting and complicated than tactical. <laughs> Um, but I, I've, I'm a massive MMORP fanatic. This is my first real move away from the MMORPs. And uh, MMORP is so hard to say. It's like LGBT+. Plus. <laughs> World of Warcraft? Uh, World of Warcraft is way too popular, so I didn't play it. I was oh, like, okay. no, too big, not doing that. Yep. So I played the Elder Scrolls. Oh, there you go. Okay. I play. I played EverQuest back in the day. Um, oh, yeah, that was my first. I played one. <laughs> uh, Lord of the Rings online. Mm-hmm. Um, I gave my voice to Star Trek online, but I didn't. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's. How cool. are you not playing that? I know. <laughs> kind of weird. <laughs> I did. I did offer to play to the guys um, when I was recording my voice, and I said, "Listen, let's do an Easter egg. Let's get me." Give me a give me a, a subscription or whatever it is. Yeah. Let me get through. Let me get, give me some time. Let me get through some levels. Let me get up to a respectable level. And um, if someone can figure out the answer to a challenge, you get in touch with me three or four days before to say you will receive your reward on that day at that time, and they will have my voice absolutely coming through live, saying exactly what they want me to say. But they didn't. That'd be awesome. They didn't bite. I know. Oh, oh man! Live experience in a computer game. Can you imagine? <laughs> Actually, a, li- a live actor who's—if you say what's your name, what colors, what's the weather like—you get it right. It's not an AI. Wow! <laughs> right now, they could be doing gaming with Sid for crying out loud. Yeah, That's right. Yeah, That's right. No, we all missed an opportunity there. Uh, I suppose. Uh, Speaking no. of um, of special people, we'd be remiss if. If we didn't take a moment to talk about uh, one of our favorite actors um, that that we've ever seen, Rene Aubergenois, and of course uh, Aaron Eisenberg, uh, both of whom were, were huge losses uh, to the Deep Space Nine family. Uh, you worked with both of them many times. Um, I, I have to imagine that. Well, I've heard Rene described by many as their favorite actor, including um, some other actors. Um, tell us about working with the two of them and and the impression that it left you with. Okay, two wildly different human beings. Um, Rene was one of the most educated actors I've ever worked with and um, had an enormous breadth of experience. Um, I think he was probably one of America's finest character actors. Um, and whether, from you name it, he will pop up everywhere. He, eventually, at the, in, the, in the last days, he popped up on. Um, secretary, Madam Secretary, yeah. as this crazy NASA guy. Um, but what a what a what, what an amazing guy! And I got to know him. I was lucky enough to get to know him and his quite 
astonishing wife, Judith. Um, we'd often meet up as a cast. Um, one of the things that was lovely about the whole show um, and about probably being unpopular, if that's the right word at the time, is that we didn't really become brats. And we loved to hang out with each other. We loved to spend some time with each other. And we would do, you know, holidays and stuff or Armin would throw a party. And Armin and um, Renee were incredibly close. Um, and Andy Robinson those guys go back years, you know, they, they, their pros have been on this circuit for hundreds of years. And I was this whippersnapper who came in from England. Um, and Renee was really kind, really kind to me um, and spent, uh, would always help me if I had a, anything to ask, although I very rarely would dare ask anything. Um, but he was he's just a, a lovely human being. Um, and I know he has a wonderful daughter and a wonderful wife who survived him. And um, I hope they're doing just fine. Uh, and if it's if I could if if I had anything to say to the, I don't need to say anything to Renee. Renee is doing probably what he likes doing best right now. But um, his, I'm sure his daughter and certainly his wife would say, would probably say if the death of my own mother is anything to go by that they haven't really lost him. You know, mm -hmm. he's with them all the time. And um, it's it, that's the beauty of having family and loved ones is right. and of being a good guy that that lasts that is really lasts forever you are kind of immortal because people remember how terrific you were it, now aaron couldn't be more different um huh, he came on the show as a kid now he wasn't a kid 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 but he was very young um and he was and obviously tiny which is his one of his things um and he was always eager to learn always trying to get some information about how to do something better and how to be quicker and how to be the best and he didn't mind who he took advice of even idiots like me and uh, he I, he was just a, a a bright bright light and i had a very close relationship with him um mainly on conventions because I ended up living in a different country. But boy, when we saw each other, um, we got on like a house on fire. He would always make fun of me any way he could. Always some sarcastic quips, some comment, you know, um, that would make everybody laugh. And um, I met his family. You know, we, we all knew each other so well. It's, it's um, and I'm sure you've talked to others, um, like Nana was a close, close friend of, Renee's, for example, um, I was pretty close to Aaron, and um, I miss them. I miss them both, and uh, it's a, it's a shame we won't be able to do some crazy thing on stage at the convention or some crazy thing on camera again. One no the, doubt, uh, one of the things that I that I I I just punch myself in the face over time and time again is, is over the last couple of years at conventions, I have gone up to Aaron's table and Renee's table to say, hi, get an autograph, get a picture, but they were always busy doing something. Didn't want to bother him. So I stepped back. Ah, just one of those moments that you just ah, wish that you hadn't. You never know. You never know what's going to happen. It's a good lesson. It is very good. Yeah. It's funny it's, because Aaron once employed us to play a, pl a prank on Garrett Wong from Voyager. Uh, we were at a convention in upstate New York and we were in the dealer's room set up, you know, recording the podcast. And 
Aaron came over and took Garrett's uh, table card with his name and put it on the card table that was next to our booth. And he goes, this okay if I put this here? I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, he had Garrett's table removed from the dealer's room <laughs> and left Garrett's you know, eight by tens and the, and the table card there. And when Garrett came in the room, he's like, oh, where am I supposed to be? And he found the card table. He goes, what's this? <laughs> that's funny. That is really funny. That is just, that, that is him. He's a prince. Yeah. 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 He always he was always doing stuff like that. That whole weekend he was doing stuff. Oh yeah. So so Sid, we, Bill mentioned this a little while ago. Bill Bill and I have been friends for 25 years and we've been doing the podcast for five years. And one of the things we like to describe the podcast is that it's it's our friendship through the veil of Star Trek. We love talking about Star Trek through our friendship. We always have fun insults back and forth to each other and we have a great time. Yeah. Your, your character's friendship with, with um, Chief O'Brien was probably one of the closest friendships in any Star Trek series ever that has been on. Yeah. Did that friendship grow outside of the characters? Um, and was it easy for that to happen based on what you got, you guys were together so much during shooting? It did. It did. It didn't uh, to the degree that we were close on set. I mean, Mm -hmm. in what made us kind of click on set was the fact that we were chalk and cheese, oil and vinegar. There's just no way these two, no way they would get together. It's just, you know, this is the most blue collar dude and the most kind of white collar dude hanging out and having fun. Um, And obviously one is, British sounding and one is Irish sounding and those guys don't get on well. Um, so that was the kind of magic was the kind of opposites attract type deal. Um, and we kind of were close ish on the outside. We did, we did, we did, we, I liked his company and we would often do stuff, but we were so different that in real life it didn't quite work out. (laughs) So, but we did, I mean, I did memorable things with him. I would, I, I, one night we visited, I think every Irish bar in central Los Angeles (laughs) on St. Patrick's night, we hired a limousine, just the two of us. And we went to every single bar um, and we got ridiculously drunk. And, uh, that was good. That was good fun. We had a great evening. Um, I mean, we do the occasional thing like that. We just do something great, but he's, I'm, you know, as a person, I'm not gregarious. I'm not, um, outward. Um, and I'm not, uh, I don't mix a lot with people. I don't go to parties very much. I didn't even then I was quite shy Mm -hmm. and, um, I really hated being the center of attention anywhere. And <clears throat> that was bad before I became a TV personality. And after that, of course, it became really difficult because if you went to most parties, it was like, oh, here's the actor. Who's that dude? Yeah. Like, oh, I wish the ground would swallow me up. <laughs> uh, so I just ended up not going to many, many parties. Um, and I, but I didn't ever. I was the one who just didn't have enough courage to go and talk to a girl. And, uh, you know, love had to fall into my lap for it to sort of pan out because uh, I just never got my act together to go and see anybody. Um, and so my, uh, 
<laughs> miles <laughs> is uh, is is not is much more gregarious and outward looking and likes a good drink in a bar and likes a good fight you know likes a good conversation yeah. and if you no fight, even better exactly <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, so what we we did hang out uh, because of our relationship on the show interestingly but we didn't we didn't get super close we don't for example really know each other anymore um although i like him very very much it's uh, I'm going to change it up a little bit now and ask you about. Uh, I'm I'm a big Batman fan. I'm not going to lie. Oh yeah. Um, and obviously, uh, on Gotham, you had the opportunity to portray a character which really only well, I'd say less than five men have ever portrayed on I screen. Love that was. Um, Raz Al Ghul. Yeah, let's. I want to talk a little bit about that because I mean, this is a character that is really deep in the Batman mythos and has a, a huge responsibility in the creation of Batman. Um, uh, what, what, let's talk about that experience and your approach to, to play that particular character. Well, I will say right off the bat that I really enjoy Gotham. Uh, I think there's some really fine acting in that show. And that's one of the things I really enjoy about it as from a professional point of view. It's amazing. A lot of those guys are really good. Yeah. Um, and, but I was a little disappointed with what happened to Al Ghul. To be honest, um, I was expecting a bit more something with uh, the young proto Batman, right? Uh, and um, I just expected it'd be a bit more, it'd be a bit more interesting. And I and I think he went, I think he went way too a bit, a bit too villainous and not. He didn't get the ambiguity of Rejal. I think Rejal Ghul um, is really ambiguous. He's he he is not a villain and he's not a good guy, um, because he is incredibly pragmatic. He does yes. the thing to get the job done, and that's what he was going to teach Batman. Um, that you can be a little darker um, than you are. You can you know toughen up a bit, um, and they kind of just went away from that. I think there was a point where I was supposed to be a love interest for one of those characters. Anyway, it, it, it became, it, tailed, it petered off into a kind of, sometimes as an actor, you get, um, and I feel that happens to me quite a bit, you come into a show in like the third or second or fourth season, because the ratings are doing some wobbling around, and um, they say, well, we're gonna get another character in. Um, and they call it stunt casting. And they, you get someone that everybody knows within the genre. And uh, you bring him in and everyone goes, whoa, I'll watch this for another season now because this guy's come in. And I think they did that. And um, I didn't, I, I've got the sense they didn't really have a plan for the character. <laughs> Although it was, I do really like the show. That's awesome. It's, um, it, it's interesting to think that, you know, of all the actors that have played uh, Rachel Ghoul, you know, you've got uh, in the animated series, it was David Warner. Obviously, in the Nolan films, it was uh, Liam Neeson. Um, they dealt with that character a little bit in the Arrow universe, um, but but really, to to most of mainstream people who haven't seen a lot of that other stuff, you were it, and I thought you were fantastic. Thank honestly. you. Honestly, thank You're you. Welcome. I was lucky to be given the opportunity. I also think that I ethnically I fit the bill. You know, yes. Uh, it was a little weird seeing Liam Neeson up in a kind of. <laughs> a little bit in the Himalayas or Tibet or somewhere going you know feel the force loop 
you um you've you've taken part in a lot of shows that are kind of built into entertainment history of course star trek and gotham and and also game of thrones i mean that was just so big in the day and you got to play uh duran martell what was that like um for me personally unfortunately i didn't think we got to see you enough uh in in that show um and you didn't get to move around a whole lot that's yeah. but that's okay yeah I'm um cool but what, what was it like the, uh on that show i really like the challenge of being in a wheelchair and i, mm-hmm. and I really like the idea that um i mean i like the challenge of the whole character i like the re- i like the the family that he represented i like you know especially his brother who had just one yes. show yeah. who had his you know that fight it's just one of the oh. great moments <laughs> he maybe yes. had two shows but it felt like he had just the one show <laughs> and um I, it was just an honor to be kind of this this guy's brother. Yeah. Um, I I really kind of think that something happened during that season that I'm not aware of still to this day, so I can only speculate. But I was contracted to do quite a lot more of the show. And then suddenly I got a call that said, look, you know, all, the, all good things come to an end. Very sweet call from, uh, I think, both the, the, the showrunners. Um, and, uh, in, I was in a, I was in, um, a hotel in Los Angeles. I was in, yeah, I remember now. And, um, I was like, what, 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 what? And they said, well, you're going to, I don't think you're, you're going to come back for a one show and we're going to, we're going to finish. We're going to kill the guy off. Everybody dies on Game of Thrones. So don't be upset. And I was like, actually I'm upset because this guy hadn't even really got going and, yeah. He and what that show, I don't know who knows what the show needs and what it doesn't need because it's one of the most successful shows of all time. So no one should listen to me about what it needed. But what I felt I was going to bring to the show was a depth of generosity that worked. Absolutely. Goodness could work. That it wasn't only wicked that works. It wasn't Mm -hmm. only evil that only wins every time. No doubt about it. Um, And... I'm not a Jon Snow character, so who's the only other kind of person I felt that was, or, or the little girl, I can't remember her name, and Alaya? Aria. Aria. That's my dog's name, too. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Good name. And so it, 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 it was, I just wanted to do a bit, I wanted to get something going uh, on that front. Even if I turned out to be really evil, that would have been interesting. But the way he started was cool. And then he just kind of went. And I think what happened was that they realized they were going to wrap up the show. And they didn't want us open a new box. They didn't mm-hmm. want to start another storyline that they couldn't get rid of by the time they needed to wrap up the show. So they started right. to kill off people that were going to be loose ends if they didn't do it. Because then he had two more years left. Sure. Um, and they know the story way ahead of time. So that's my guess. My last, my final guess is that they just went, we're finishing the show in two years. We've just opened this box and we don't want this gift because it's just going to be too complicated for the last two years. And you, and famously they had enormous trouble wrapping up the show in yeah. the last season. Yeah. So imagine that they had Doran to deal with as well. Like, <laughs> No idea how to do this. So I think they just went, this is more trouble than we can handle. We're going to get rid of this guy now. Before we, uh, before we wrap up with you today, we had a couple of questions from our official Facebook group, uh, Camp Kittimer, um, just to, to pose a couple to you, some quick hits. Um, Chris Powers asks if you were a Trek fan before Deep Space Nine. I was. I was, Chris. And you know what? I, um, 
I, I, I went down to Blockbusters in Tooting in London, which is a part of London where I lived. And uh, I lived with another actor called Paul Baisley. Um, and I would watch uh, The Next Generation, um, partly because a friend of mine called Colin, Colin, Colin Kerrigan, Put me onto put me onto the show. So when I got the audition to to be in uh, Deep Space Nine, it came through anonymously uh, through my agent uh, and the casting director. And they and I was like, wow, I wonder what I'm playing. Maybe I'm going to be like Deanna Troy's long lost brother, because I felt Deanna <laughs> Troy and I had something in common. We had slightly darker skin, and we're both kind of British. Yeah. So I figured I'd get I'd be. On, I thought it was an audition for for the next generation. Um, and I went ahead and did it and, um, it was pretty easy. Actually, I remember going, this is pretty easy. What I have to do is say no. (laughs) 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 So I went in and went, uh, no. And they were like, terrific. We'll be in touch. Okay. Good. And they were in touch. And that was four days later, I flew out to America. Um, and I did it again. I just said no. Uh, and everyone was like, oh. <laughs> oh man yeah it was really good i'm weeping and um <laughs> it turned out that they'd seen me in another show and because they'd seen me in another show rick berman just ordered that i come to the show but they had to go through the dance of me uh, audition yeah. so they made it as simple as possible not to waste anyone's time so i just was like uh no <laughs> and uh, that's all because I really enjoyed the next generation. And otherwise, I may, I may not even have done the audition because I may not have known what Star Trek was. And, wow! Uh, so it was just I really liked it, and that was so it came from from that, and not being Diana Troy's long lost cousin or whatever. Uh, and that we have another question from Angela Styles who asks, uh, "What was your favorite scene or scenes that you played?" Uh, hi, Angela. Time. First of all. Um, kind of a lot of scenes I really enjoyed. Um, and so many of them. (laughs) (laughs) Something has happened to modern TV where people have realized that you can just give, you know, make six shows a year and everybody's like, this is a good show. We had to make dozens of the damn things. Um, but I really, I mean, it's difficult to say the actual scene. Um, I would be a liar if I didn't say I, hated being in bed with Esri Dax. <laughs> um, that would, I just have to just get that out there. We, uh, we get it. It's okay. <laughs> You're among friends here. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I, I absolutely loved um, almost everything in Trials and Tribulations. Um, and we had some great scenes, especially Miles and I in that, in, in, in that yes. show. Um, I, oh, I examined my own wife as a doctor and she was uh, major Kira, of course, but right. I, right. I, I, we, my wife to be weren't married even. And, and our own son was in the show cause I was examining right. her belly. So I got to meet my son on Star Trek in a weird way. Um, uh, for, so that was kind of crazy and wonderful. It- let me jump in for a quick second, Sid. One sure. of the things that I love best about that whole storyline is Nana's line to you in that episode when you're arguing about it, and she looks at Bashir and says, remember, you did this to me. 
because Bashir and it's like, yeah, he did that to her. That was great. It happens. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. That was that was funny. That was a that was the the, the, the showrunners Ira having a laugh at us. Really that. that was good. Well, <clears throat> Sid, I want to take a few minutes here to talk to you about something um, that is very very important to me. Uh, we've had the honor of having several cast of ds9 on the show over the years we've had nana we've had andy robertson we've had jg hertzler we've had bill sadler and for all of these discussions i've made it a point to say to them what i want to say to you um back in early 2000 i had gone through an extremely bad time and it got so bad that one night i had a revolver in my mouth and i had the hammer pulled back and i was ready and it was going to happen And for some reason, I had a VHS tape of Deep Space Nine playing on my TV in front of me that night. And the episode Captive Pursuit was on where Miles uh, befriends Tosk. um, And he talks about how every life is important and he was risking his career to save Tosk. That episode saved my life. Wow. Wow. You and all of the cast of the show are the reason why I am alive today. So I want to take the moment here talking to you to thank you. Um, my life is, is as perfect now as I could possibly ever wish for. And it's because of what you and the rest of the cast did with your craft to bring those stories to life. That, that episode is the one that saved me, but the rest of the journey of deep space nine is what kept me going during my difficult time. So from the bottom of my heart, I thank you, sir. Thank you for letting me know. Thank you for letting me know. That's very kind of you. And uh, you're welcome. <laughs> you know, that's basically all I can say. You are, Even though I have to put up with this guy every week on the yeah. podcast, it's still but You're welcome it. on this planet. You're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome. He, sure does, he sure knows how to kill a conversation, doesn't he? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I got Sid, it. <laughs> Sid, thank you so much for taking a little bit of your time to share some of your uh, of your joyfulness and your and your 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 just fantastic attitude. It's been so great to talk to you today. We we hope that someday when you have nothing else going on um, and you're cooped up in a house, you'll think of talking to these two idiots again. Um, you know when you when you don't have actual work going on. But <laughs> <laughs> well, we should do it next week. <laughs> coming in 2022, the Sid Talks to Geeks podcast, exclusively on the Trek Geeks Network. Wow, buddy, what a conversation. Um, we could have talked to Sid literally for hours. Hours. Um, and uh, I hope we get the chance to talk to him again someday because what a, uh, truly what a joyful guy. I, You know, Deep Space Nine is over 25 years old now. And you would think that the way he talks about it, it just ended last week. He is in love with that show and that character still to this day. And I think that's something that, 
we're not used to seeing with people that have done a lot of different acting gigs in their career. You know, you have one gig and then you go to the next one and then you go to the next one. And a lot of people don't even watch what they do on television. But I have the sneaking suspicion that that Sid watched what he did on the show. And you can tell by the way he talks about the past that he really loves the character of Bashir. Oh, that, that much is, is very obvious. And it's interesting that he has uh, an affinity for, it seems like all the characters he's played. I mean, yeah. he talks very fondly about, uh, about, you know, the way he wanted to portray Raj al Ghul, about, uh, about the Game of Thrones gig. Um, I think he walks into it with a clear mindset of what he wants to do. And in the case of Bashir, we were lucky enough to have seven seasons of it, which is, is fantastic. And just hearing that he was not happy with the genetically engineered uh, storyline just blew me away. I thought that was great that, yeah, he didn't like that, but ended up being a pretty cool gig, I think. I think he liked it. I have to agree. Dan, you know what else is a cool gig? Being a member of the band Five Year Mission. Uh, As the unofficial sixth member of the band, I can tell you that. uh, Okay. Hey, I, I can't help it. I mean, we all have our assigned callings, and mine is to be a guy who doesn't play an instrument in a band. It's it's magical. It's everything I thought it could be. I appreciate it. But, I mean, the other five guys do pretty well without me. I mean, they have a whole bunch of albums we want you to download and listen to. Head on out to fiveyearmission.net. Get all of Five Year Mission's music. I mean, there's year one, year two, year three, year four, Spock's Brain, Trouble with Tribbles. We want you to get the discs for all of these. Add them to your collection because you're going to become a huge fan just like we are. That's fiveyearmission.net. And thanks to them for all the music they let us use on the network. And of course, if you want to listen to another podcast, there's Five Year Mission, the podcast what? available here at Trek Geeks. That's amazing. You know, year five is going to come out someday too. That's pretty cool. When Agreed. you think about it. Yeah. Because, you know, Star Trek didn't have a year five. So it's awesome that Five Year Mission is going to have a year five. That's pretty cool. You know what else is cool? What? It, we actually talked about this very episode just last week, buddy. Um, what's even more interesting is this particular storyline. Here we go. Janeway had to make the most difficult of decisions, Bill. After a terrible accident in a recording studio, two members of her, cu- of her crew are fused together and become one new individual life form. What does she do? Will she say goodbye to her two friends? Or will she bring them back by ending the life of her new crew member? It's a difficult decision, and one that songs are sure to be written about. But in the end, Bill, what will happen to two farks? What will happen? Uh, I I just I can't even. <laughs> I you know normally I accuse you of not trying. I I don't know how much lower I can get this wow. week because. That is the lamest one. It, it seems to fit, though. Last no, week. no, it doesn't. <laughs> it would have fit last week, and it still would have been horrendous. <laughs> See, I didn't want to, you know, too much of a good thing all at once. You got to spread it out like, like, like peanut butter on a piece of bread, baby. Just spread it right out. Two weeks of two weeks. When farts. does the good thing start? <laughs> I, I just, I just That's like, just, just like two weeks. I, I want to beam you into two separate individuals I might be able to tolerate. Wow. Who would they be? Who is who is Dan? Who Who is combined to make Dan? Uh, <laughs> That's for next week. I don't think I can say that on the non-Patreon version. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so anyway, fiveyearmission.net, download all their albums, become a huge fan. 
Uh, of course, we want to remind everyone listening that you can support the Trek Geeks podcast network via Patreon. There you can see the new designs for both the annual supporters pin and our annual t-shirt for 2020, as well as get unedited audio of all of our podcasts, along with some additional perks, Dan. Lots of good perks. Every once in a while, I might just jump into an Arnold Schwarzenegger impersonation and thank our Patreons like I'm going to do right now, Bill. So we want to take a moment to thank our associate producers on Trek Geeks, Adam Sanders, Brandon Everidge, Heather Sohn, John Krikorian, Rick Tatro, Trey Womack, Sean Lynn, Tim Robertson, Tim Sidar, Vikram Bhatt, Greg Rozier, Andy Fark, Kimberly Francis, Bill's laughing at me, Ron Robel, Brooke Horton, Christina Werther, Jim McMahon, Luke Burnham, Eric Sakian, Lisa Tomlinson, Jamie McGregor, and the gracious and wonderful Conrad Hutchins. <laughs> I love how at the end, Schwarzenegger kind of went English. <laughs> A little bit. I can't breathe. I, uh, <laughs> Mission accomplished. Oh, <laughs> uh, I know, but for your, you're hoping it was a much longer duration. Uh, but. One can hope. Yeah. Dan, we also want to thank our Trek Geeks producers for their support. They are Ken Tripp, Casey Shafsky, Charlie Mulvey, Chris Trebuzio, Craig Ewing, Eric Extreme, Jackie and Chris Hackney, Leonel Marchand, Matt McGonigal, Mike Bovia, Sean O'Halloran, Peter Craig, Ken Bird, Jamie Rogers, David Hood, Rachel Delaney, Kyle Castillo, William Edward M. Jr., and the lovely and talented Jess Fashion. You too can become a producer on the Trek Geeks Podcast Network, and it is so easy to do. Just head on over to patreon.com slash trekgeeks today for all the details. Next week, Dan, we're going to talk about Star Trek, of course, as we always do, but it's going to be a little different than what some people may expect. Oh, and we're going to have a pretty special guest on with us too. So, you know, win-win. Yeah, you can say that again. Uh, Star Trek and Haley Stoddart. How can that not be a win-win? Yes, next week, our dear friend and fellow podcaster will be joining us to discuss the impact that Star Trek has had in so many other forms of entertainment. You know, it seems nearly impossible to flip on the TV, watch a show, and not see some kind of a Star Trek reference. So next week, we'll discuss all kinds of great Trek references. It's Strange Other Worlds next week on Trek Geeks, the flagship of the podcast network for your fandom. Plus, you know, I don't want to let the cat out of the bag, but we're also going to have a special announcement next week right here on an all-new Trek Geeks. Was that you letting a cat out of the bag? No, bit. Oh, I'd love to put you in that bag and drop it in the river. <laughs> beat me in, beat me about the head with it. Oh, that would be amazing. <laughs> uh, of course, for more great Star Trek discussion, please check out the other member podcasts of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. You can find them all, including where to listen, by visiting trekgeeks.com slash listen. And of course, for all the news on all the Star Trek CEO, please visit our great friends at treknews.net. For now, this has been episode number 217 of the Trek Geeks Podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. Coconut! I think I'm deaf now. That's good. Music for Trek Geeks is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing one song for each episode of the original series. Download their music at fiveyearmission.net. Trek Geeks, a Star Trek podcast, is a production of Coconut Media Works, executive producer Bill Smith. For even more Star Trek discussion, check out Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery Companion, Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and DiscoveringTrek.com. Bing bong, Dan. Bing bong! <laughs> Whoa. Your microphone is in a different place this week. It is. I I, it's in a new spot now, and I like it. It's right there, so i got to be quieter. Be more quiet. <laughs> oh, I've, I've been dreaming of that for five years. <laughs> no dead air here, mister.
<laughs> well, no, that's we know that's not true for a fact. Not Chris Mumphrey's pointed it out more times than we can remember. Yeah, right. Uh, what does he know? Dead Air Davidson. <laughs> yes, that's right. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm excellent. Fantastic. What a great weekend. Sue had a, Sue and I had a day off yesterday to to just hang out and do stuff and. The weather was awesome for a change, as as our Trek Tuesday picture this morning showed us. Uh, yeah, pretty awesome. Like it. No, no complaints here, sir. Uh, not that I would have cared if you had complained, Dan. See, I would have cared because I care about you, and, and there you go. Wow, what a nice guy. Oh, I appreciate it. You're far nicer than I am. You're a nice guy. Well, you're kind of a jerk. Um, that's true. That, that didn't last long, did it? No. <laughs> No, you really kind of hung your hat on that one pretty quickly. Nah, I don't wear hats often. I get sunburned if you, I don't wear them. I was going to say. <laughs> it's like, I might, I might have a little bit. You might see it a little right there. I do. I do. Yeah. A little sun this weekend had the sunroof open and was like, oops, had the sunroof open. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah. But that's all right. I don't mind. You didn't necessarily um, take appropriate precautions there? No, I didn't. That's all right, though. It happens. I had the <clears throat> I had the weekend off because I uh, originally was supposed to go to LA yep. for the yep. initial Nichols Con this past weekend. Yep. Um which has been postponed now indefinitely and they're talking about Vegas. Yeah, that's kind of odd. Um which uh, odd, awkward, all yep. of those things. Yeah. And um I do, I I don't know how I I feel about that, but it was nice just to love the weekend off and and not do a whole lot, which made me very happy. Yeah. Uh, we did. We you know, we take we always take the dogs for a ride on the weekend in the car because they love being in the car, and we take them for walks and 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 stuff like that. And and we got a bunch of stuff done around the house. I stained the concrete on the porch and and uh, mowed the lawn finally, and and did a whole bunch of things. So you know, it's always fun to get stuff done. It, you know, people who aren't getting stuff done during this weird time where they're home all the time makes you wonder what they do. Because I mean, I'm looking for stuff to do, so. Yeah. Um, I'm not getting stuff done during this time. So let me tell you what I do. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> I can't, I can't not do anything. I can. And at times it's glorious. It's very difficult for me to do that. I can't sit still. Whether I'm stitching or whether I'm, you know, reading or something, I'm just, I just can't not be doing something. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know how I was trying to, I was trying to, I was going to do kind of like a limerick lime type thing, uh, rhyme, but I just completely didn't. Yeah. I really, yeah. I'm just, I'm just going to let you twist in the wind there. <laughs> twist like a, like that tree in Harry Potter. I'll take your word for that. Okay. I forget what his name is. Big tree or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure the character name is Big Tree. <laughs> it's the Whomping Willow actually is what it is. You can write, take that to the bank, Gringotts Bank, Harry Potter. Which doesn't exist. Oh, it does at Universal Studios Florida, though. It's very cool. Does it? I was, I was in it, yeah. They, oh, they came was, out with a new ride, and I'll tell you what, the bank is gorgeous. That yeah. wasn't there when I was last at, at yeah. Universal. Yeah. The only time I've been to Universal in 2014. Yeah. It was probably just Hogwarts. Uh, yes. Yeah, and then they added the ride with Gringotts, and then the last year they added the... Um, Motorbike ride, Hagrid's motorbike forest adventure ride thing. The first Harry Potter ride uh, looked like it would scare the hell out of me, so I didn't go on it. Oh, okay. Which one was that? The roller coaster? 
I, uh, okay. the one at Hogwarts. I don't know. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. No, that's okay. There are two. They turned a ride that was called the Dueling Dragons, which was uh, roller coasters that were like parallel to each other. Um, they turned that into a, a Griffin something or other Harry Potter theme, but it was the same ride. But they did it wasn't a it wasn't a roller coaster. It, it, you actually went through a line through the mm-hmm. through the castle. And, oh yeah, the one in Hogwarts is different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my wife went on it, and she's like, "Yeah, you would have hated that." It's one of those ones where you get the screens. It's like motion, and so it looks like you're falling, even though you're not. And it, I'm good. Oh, I love those. My okay. brother-in-law gets like sick to his stomach on those. Oh. <laughs> As as I get older, I'm okay with not going to uh, adventure parks. <laughs> I just I'll, I'll write it's a small world all day long. <laughs> That's more your style. Um, <laughs> more so than that, yeah. <laughs> Although I did go on the Spider Man 3D ride at Universal. Yeah, there was only one part I just couldn't look at the screen. Was that when you like going up all the way, like real uh, fast, or hanging over the edge? Oh yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> on that, it was really amazing. Excellent. And that ride's held up pretty good over the years, too. It's too bad your face hasn't held up. Oh, no. It's, it's fallen like a brick bleep house. <sighs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's, uh, what do you say we do this and uh, get in and out? Nobody gets hurt. Oh, be, oh, well, no, I, if you get hurt a little bit, I'll be all right with that. Oh, okay. Just uh, a little blood. Just a little? Yeah. Tiny bit. Here we go. Coconut!